On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we're joined by the former general manager of the Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets, who now works for ESPN as a NFL analyst. Mike Tannenbaum will talk about the transition of living life in the war room to talking about what's going on in war rooms across the NFL. And we'll be joined by the Bengals Pro Bowl wide receiver, A.J. Green, as he makes his way back from off-season toe surgery and what he thinks of his new head coach and the new atmosphere in Cincinnati. But first, the former Jets and Dolphins general manager, Mike Tannenbaum. Mike, thanks for taking the time. Hey, Adam, great to be with you. What was that like for you, making the transition from having sat in a war room, having run a war room in recent years, to working the NFL draft for ESPN Radio? You know, it was a really interesting experience. First of all, I was really impressed by everyone's preparation uh, in terms of all the work they put in, uh, Ian Fitzsimmons, Chris Canny, Jim Nagy, and Dari Noqua. But it was interesting because uh, I've done a lot of media, obviously, in some of these forward-facing positions, Adam, but early on in the draft, I look up and, and Bill, the engineer, and we'll, we'll keep his last name uh, private yes. to, pr- to protect the guilty. <laughs> He starts giving me these hand signals, and I'm like, should I be bunting, suicide squeeze? Am I taking a pitch here? Like, he's giving me all these hands. I have absolutely he's no trying idea. trying to sing it a break? Yeah, he's telling me to be quiet, but I, I thought, like, you know, he looked like a third base coach. I had absolutely no idea what to do. So that that was, uh, like, one of, like, early on, that was, like, my initial indoctrination. And then, you know, we were going, like, in and out of going to the podium as they're announcing the first picks early on. So I think, like, we're, like, off – you know, I, I'm thinking the mics are dead. So I say something to Dari. And with that, Adam, about like six hands go up. Like it was like synchronized squ- uh, swimming. <laughs> like they're all like, shut up, Mike. And I'm like, oh gosh, like I've been on, you know, this broadcast for about seven minutes. I don't know if I should be bunting, suicide squeezing, any <laughs> these hand signals. I'm talking when I should be talking. There's no way that this could have, you know, started off any worse. But, you know, we got through those little bumps and uh, away we went. Well, how did it compare to what you expected it to be? Well, you know, it, it's. It's interesting. That's a really good question because, you know, when you're in the draft, you, you have, you know, your game plans. Hey, we're going to move up a few spots. We're going to move back. You know, a lot of the bigger trades that we've made over the years, moving up for Sanchez or Darrell Revis or Xavier Howard, um, you know, a lot of those foundational sort of like aspects of those trades were done ahead of time. So you're always going to be surprised, probably most notably the Laramie Tunsil draft of 2016. But by and large, you have a sense of, Hey, this is what's going to happen. Um, you know, this was much more of a marathon. Like we, we had to be prepared all the way through the last pick on the last day. So from that standpoint, um, you know, there are long shows. It was a long process. But again, uh, I thought Dari Noqua did a really good job. And I think what was interesting was I don't know if they really knew what to expect from me because I think they thought that, hey, you know, this guy, you know, does he have a personality? He's been in the front office. So we're sitting there and most of the first rounders who were in the green room, we were able to interview. So Dari's kind of killing a little time because we're trying to get Kyler Murray first round pick out of, uh, you know, University of Oklahoma quarterback. And he, he, like, we're kind of killing time because there's a, about 15, 20 people. And he's like, you know, stay tuned, fans, because we're going to have Kyler Murray join the set as soon as we can locate him. And I turned to Dari. I'm like, you know, Dari, the reason you can't locate him right now is somebody six feet tall is standing between you <laughs> and Kyler Murray. And everyone started laughing. I think they realized, okay. You know, even though he was a GM, he actually has a sense of humor. So that, that kind of loosened up the whole set, and we, we really had a great time for three days. Well, you got to have some fun with it, and it sounds like you did. And I'm curious to know what it was like for you to watch the Miami Dolphins, your former team, draft players. Yeah, uh, 
you know, look, when you get to the positions that I've been very, very fortunate to have, um, it takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears for many years, you know, to get to it. And to be candid, I actually had called Bill Polian earlier in the day to thank him for everything that he had done. And um, I just told him, like, I greatly admired what he had done for our sport, for the positions uh, in, in, in front offices. You know, he's in the Hall of Fame where he should be. And I was just picking his brain because, you know, he had done a lot of media. And I, I said, you know, Bill, I have a lot of mixed emotions today because, you know, for 25 years I've been in the room and now, you know, I'm in a different position. And to be candid, I, I have some very mixed feelings. And he said, he had a great line, as he usually does, Adam. He said, you know, Mike, you don't want those mixed feelings to go away because that means you cared, you worked hard to get there. And from a human nature standpoint, like, that's really healthy. And at some point, you should share that with your listeners. And I thought that was such an interesting insight. So to answer your question, of course, like, having been with those guys for so many years and, you know, a lot of guys that I know really intimately, it was very surreal to, you know, hear a Miami Dolphin pick you know, and not be part of it. Um, and I just kept focusing on like, hey, you know, uh, Dan Quinn is a guy that I'm very close with, good friend, had a chance to represent him years ago. One of the many things that Dan uh, Quinn taught me, Adam, was he's like, be where your feet are. And I think a lot of successful people live by that. So, you know, I, I heard Christian Wilkins' name go off. Yep. And I, I was really concentrating on like, I'm going to try to do the best ESPN radio draft broadcast that I possibly can do. And that's really like where I try to put all my efforts and energy. But, you know, when that pick, you know, when they turned in the card, you know, obviously it definitely resonated with me, you know, from a personal standpoint. What was your assessment of the way your former Miami Dolphins team drafted? They took Christian Wilkins in the first round to pick number 13. In the third round, they took a guard from Wisconsin, Michael Dieter. In the fifth round, a linebacker from Wisconsin, a couple of Wisconsin kids, Andrew Van Ginkle. In the sixth round, Ohio State offensive tackle Isaiah Prince, seventh round Auburn fullback Chandler Cox, and in the seventh round the Washington running back Miles Gaskin. What was your assessment of what your former team did there, Mike? Yeah, I really like Wilkins. You know, just starting there, Adam. Like, if you go back all the way to Suffield Academy, like he has really, really special sort of leadership, uh, selflessness, authenticity. Like people just rave about him. And I remember Coach Parcells. One of the lessons he always talked about was. The great players have attributes you can't see and how they affect others. Hmm. And, you know, I don't know Wilkins, obviously, but it just sounds like he has a chance to be one of those types of foundational players where he could affect others. You know, Minka Fitzpatrick a year ago, um, the player we drafted at the University of Alabama was a lot like that. So I like Wilkins. You know, in Brian Flores' defense, in particular their front seven, Adam, versatility is a hallmark of that defense. And hmm. I think Wilkins has that sort of football IQ where they'll be able to move him around and you know one week we'll be talking about him at you know a classic three technique and I'm sure they'll they'll move him uh, around on the defensive line all through the year and he has the ability to do that so sometimes players have a lot of ability on the field but maybe not the uh, football acumen to take you know all these varied assignments so um, I think that was a great pick obviously you know the bigger move uh, that people are talking about is the Josh Rosen trade yes. you know that was their second round pick and look I, I like it I talked a lot about how you know there's cost certainty for four years. He went on the road last year, Adam. He beat Green Bay on the road. Um, it's very unusual for a team to, you know, trade up a three and a five, which Arizona did in 2018 and give up on him after a year. You know, if we look back at Jared Goff, he threw five touchdowns in year one. That was under Jeff Fisher. They moved on from Jeff Fisher. Sean McVay came in. Goff threw 28 touchdowns in year two under Sean McVay. So I'm not saying that Rosen's going to take that sort of step forward, but Jim Caldwell, the associate head coach of the Dolphins, 
great coach, great person. I'm really interested to see how he develops under the Dolphin coaches. So I thought that was a really smart move. I like Dieter a lot. He's a tough, uh, typical uh, Wisconsin offensive lineman. He'll have a chance to come in and play right away. And then in terms of some of these later-round guys, I think Gaskins is really interesting. He's a highly productive runner out of University of Washington. Um, they have two good backs in Kalen Bellage and Kenyon Drake, but he he's a physical guy. Um, the big question for him, Adam, will be, you know, what can he do in the kicking game? Hmm. You know, you bring up the Josh Rosen name and them trading their second-round pick this year and a fifth-round pick next year. There have been so much discussion about, quote-unquote, tanking for Tua, looking ahead to the draft of 2020, how the Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, covets the Alabama quarterback. How do you reconcile what they did this year? I know that they're not thinking of this necessarily, but how do you reconcile what they did this year in acquiring a quarterback like Josh Rosen with the idea that they want to land one of these top quarterbacks from the 2020 draft? Right. So, look, I know a lot's been said and written about this. Again, you don't have these positions like Brian Flores. Like, Brian Flores is, is, you know, an incredibly hardworking, competitive guy who has become an NFL head coach coming from, you know, Brooklyn, New York, played at Boston College. Like, he's not going to go home at 4 o'clock on, you know, Tuesdays in the fall and say, oh, we're not going to worry about this year. Like, it'll be the exact opposite. They're going to try to win every game possible. You know, you want your program and you want the people in your building filled with smart, competitive people. That's, you know, what pro football, that's the essence of sports. With that said, you know, strategically, from a management standpoint, you know, you do want to deploy assets in, in a strategic way where, you know, certain years, be it from salary cap chargers or accumulating picks, you feel like you may have different windows. So um, here's what's so interesting about our sport. You know, you go back a couple of years ago, Philadelphia went from 15 to 2 to go up and get Carson Wentz. Yep. So I promise you, Adam, I promise you that if we're sitting here in February of 2020, two of the top three picks of those teams, we're not even talking about them right now. And it could or could not be the Dolphins. So, you know, the haze in the barn for the most part in terms of what the offseason brought in terms of picks, how they structure contracts. But now they're going to try to win as many games as possible. And I saw that firsthand when we got to the New York Jets in 1997, Coach Parcells, Coach Belichick, you know, that foundation started with, hey, we're going to try to win as many games this year as possible because we want to establish a culture, and the 96 Jets had won one game. And easily it could have been like, hey, this is going to take a five-year rebuild. We're not sure about Neil O'Donnell. And we won nine games in 97, and we were in the AFC Championship game in the second year. And my point being is when a new coach comes in and he's trying to establish himself you know, there's no reason why you can't be competitive early. You know, when we hired Adam Gase in 16 at the at the Dolphins, you know, we went to the playoffs in year one. So my point being is you can do that. You can be competitive and plan for the future at the same time. You are so intertwined with so many people in this division, right? Like the coach you worked with in Miami is now the head coach of the New York Jets. You were with the Dolphins. You were with the Jets. You've been with Bill Belichick in the past working in New York what has it been like working for the Jets and the Dolphins trying to take down the monster that is the New England Patriots? Yeah, you know, I was always energized by it. You know, look, they, they've done, you know, a historically great job by all accounts. There's no debating that. I, you know, I always looked at it as a challenge and, you know, be it, look, uh, I guess my last win at the Dolphins was, you know, that crazy ending, you know, beating the Patriots and, you know, we beat the Patriots in a road playoff game at the Jets. Um it's really hard, you know, um, but I always took it as a challenge. Like, 
the NFL is the essence of competition and the bar's high and Coach Belichick and Tom Brady made that bar even higher. But if you want to be the best, you know, you have to feel like, hey, like I want to compete at that level against them every day. And uh I just took it as an additional challenge. Like all these jobs come with additional challenges and if you're in the AFC East, it's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And would you say that what they've done is as impressive as what any duo in NFL history has ever done. And when you put it up with what any duo in sports history ever has done. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly in the conversation. I mean, look, I think what's really remarkable is if you look at, let's say, the 01 Patriots, you know, it looks so different. I mean, they even literally changed the field in Foxborough. You know, it used to be uh, a uh, natural grass. They had, you know, bigger players, especially, you know, on defense, um, you know, they, they've evolved so many different ways from, you know, offensively, um, two tight ends, obviously, when they had Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski in their prime, you know, now, you know, some of their receivers are small. They, they've kind of reinvented themselves so many times, but some of the very foundational pieces have remained. And I think the one guy that doesn't get the credit he deserves is a gentleman named Dante Scarnecchia. Oh, yeah. They're a longtime offensive line coach. It's remarkable how many guys can leave. You know, Nate Solder leaves, you know, Trent Brown leaves, and, you know, this year it's going to be Isaiah Wynn. They're going to, he's going to step up. He'll be the next guy. You know, he got hurt last year, former first round pick out of Georgia. And I think what's remarkable is while they've reinvented themselves in some ways, in a lot of ways, things have remained the same and constant. And I think one of the things people forget is, you know, when it be it Rosen or Fitzpatrick on opening day, you know, that's going to be game one. You know, they're going against the Patriots who have been, you know, hundreds and hundreds of reps. Same thing, Sam Darnold listening to Adam Gase in the headset. You know, that's going to be game one on opening day. And they have such a built-in advantage because of the continuity and the reps, especially because the way the offseason program has been curtailed. So um, they've earned that continuity, and it just makes the bar that much higher. You bring up Dante Scarnecchia. I've maintained all along that Nate Solder should have paid him commission. Trent Brown should have paid him commission. These guys got the highest-paid offensive lineman deals in history in their respective free agent years. And Dante Scarnecchia, I think, is a huge reason why. You've you brought up a lot of interesting names during the course of this conversation already. And, and one of the names you brought up was Laramie Tunsil. What do you remember about the night that he fell to you that nobody ever envisioned that a guy who some people debated, talked about as a top three pick, would fall to you, I believe, at number 13? Yes. What was that like? What do you remember about that? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, Chris Greer deserves a lot of credit, the uh, general manager of the Dolphins. So, it really goes back to February of that year, February 16, and we're sitting, so just to give you the context, we're sitting in the Crown Plaza in Indianapolis, so you have 60 interviews, they're 15 minutes each, and at the time, the Tennessee Titans are on the clock, and everyone thought, okay, they're going to take Tunsil, they need an offensive tackle, totally makes sense, and Chris was responsible for filling out the players we're going to interview, and I'm like, looking, I'm like, Chris, do we really need to interview Laramie Tunsil? Like, what are we doing here? Like... We have Brandon Albert at left tackle. We have a gazillion needs. We had just taken over. It was Chris, Adam, and I. I'm like, gosh, let's, let's, you know, can't we spend this 15 minutes, you know, with somebody else? He's like, no, like, we got to be thorough. Hmm. And you just never know. I'm like, all right. So, you know, we interviewed him. And uh, one of our really good scouts in Miami, a guy named uh, Matt Winston, who's ironically Eric Winston's brother, the head of the NFLPA, well, yeah. you know, it very has a huge, huge future in personnel, um, went into Mississippi wrote some really good reports about his background, his character. We all felt really good about it, um, you know, heading into the draft. And then really, like everybody else in America, Adam, we watched everything unfold in terms of, like, we saw the video, 
Uh, obviously, there were a couple of trades. So the first couple of picks were quarterbacks, you know, Wentz and Goff. And then um, I really thought it was going to be Baltimore. They took Ron, Ronnie Stanley, and we thought that for sure it was going to be Tunsil there. So really after Baltimore took Stanley, it was like, okay, fellas, like we really got to talk about this. So, you know, I give Chris credit for, you know, we had met with him, felt good about it. Matt Winston had a lot of great information, a lot of good sources about he was a good kid, where he was in Florida, how he got to Ole Miss. He really liked football. He was a good teammate. Obviously, he had made you know a pretty significant mistake. Um, and one of the things I like about the draft is you know typically like when you try to make decisions, you know sometimes you got to track down your owner or the head coach or the head coach is on the field. Um, but when you're in the draft, like you're all within like two feet of each other. So when it got to like ten or eleven, like the four of us got together: Chris Greer, Adam Gase, Steve Ross, our owner, and myself. And I'm like, hey, are we all comfortable with this? And it was absolutely unanimous. And uh, we're sitting there. We're watching the Saints. I'm thinking, like, wow, you know, the Saints probably don't need an offensive lineman here. Um, and they wound up going defense. And when we got to 13, you know, we turned in the card. And it was truly euphoric because, you know, from my perspective, like, we just got the number one pick in the draft. And we didn't have to trade up for him. And we were so confident about our preparation and knew that this video created an unbelievable opportunity for us and now you look at it, you know, go back four years, Adam, and he's a 44-game starter. He's a great teammate. He likes football. And that whole, you know, scene, episode really turned into a great opportunity. We've never seen anything like that during the draft, have we? No. And, you know, you go back to the, you know, the radio uh, experience I had last week. It was like watching it unfold. You know, it, it kind of turned in a little bit to the whole Josh Rosen, like, where's he going to go? Um, you know, there were a couple other interesting storylines, but... You know, every draft seems to have a little bit of a story to it, but nothing to that degree. Yeah, it was that was an incredible draft moment. Now, you also brought up the fact that you are close with the Atlanta Falcons head coach, Dan Quinn, who you once represented. And for those who don't know, after you left the New York Jets organization, you began to work as an agent in a sports agency, and you represented Dan Quinn, amongst others. One of the people that you also represented that people might not know is the Golden State Warriors head coach, Steve Kerr. What did you learn from your time together with the Warriors head coach? Yeah, I was unbelievably privileged to represent Steve, and we, we spent really a year getting him ready to be a head coach. And a lot of people don't realize not only was Steve a Hall of Fame player, broadcaster, but he was also the general manager of the Phoenix Suns. And despite all those uh, qualifications, he's like, Mike, I want to be a great head coach. And we spent a year working together. He went to go see Coach Parcells in Saratoga. He went up to Seattle to spend time with Pete Carroll. Um, he really worked at it, and which I give him a ton of credit. And then he ultimately had a choice between you know the New York Knicks and the Golden State Warriors. Obviously, you know things have worked out truly at, at a historic level for Steve and, and the Warriors. But the moment that I will never forget that I try to instill to my children, Adam, and it is an unbelievable life le- lesson was we get the deal done, very significant deal on the economics. It's obviously a huge moment for him, you know, player, GM, broadcaster, now a head coach in the NBA. And I'm like, well, what are you going to go do now, Steve? He's like, hey, we're, meaning him and I, we're going to Vegas. I'm like, why are we going to Las Vegas, Steve? He's like, I need to go coach in the summer league. I need to go make mistakes. I need to understand the rotation, when to call timeout, when to handle officiating. I'm thinking like, oh, my God, this guy has done all these incredible experiences, and yet, has so much more to learn. And you talk about somebody that has a growth mindset. I was, I was so inspired by the fact that 
he was so committed to being great at his craft. So sure enough, like literally like Adam, like 10 days, it was like, it was soon thereafter. Like it was just a couple of weeks. We flew to Las Vegas and there I am. I'm sitting in the second row <laughs> watching all this unfold. And he was like an active participant in the summer league. And I think it, it, that story ha- has so much wisdom for all of us. Like just when you think you know it all, like you, you, you don't. And the success they're having, look, they got great players. Everybody knows that. But I'm just telling you, like, Steve has a great mind. He he can relate to people of all, like, varied walks of life. But it starts with him. And his bar is really high because he's never satisfied, you know, in terms of what he knows. You mentioned the fact that he went to go meet with Bill Parcells, Pete Carroll. What does an NBA coach get out of meeting with a NFL head coach? Yeah, well, it was interesting. I'll never forget. He called me when he was going to the airport when he left Seattle and the word he used, Adam, was authenticity. He talked about how, yeah, look, Pete, Pete's a remarkable guy. You know, with Pete, it's about, you know, three things, competition, competition, and competition. And I guess apparently the day he was there, all sorts of things were going on. I guess like they had some sort of like military people show up and like there was just a lot of things going on in terms of competition, high energy tempo. And, you know, what Steve said to me was, he goes, you know, I saw a pop coach. Obviously I saw Phil Jackson coach for years. He goes, but I, what I saw today, Mike, was I saw Pete Carroll be really comfortable in his own skin, high energy, high tempo, and I know, like, I'm going to be a good coach because I'm going to coach the way that's comfortable for me, Steve Kerr. And I said, Steve, you know, one thing you got to be careful of is, like, you know, Pete, this is his fourth stop, New York Jets, New England Patriots, University of Southern California, and now the Seattle Seahawks. I'm like, there's a lot of, you know, lessons he learned there that, you know, you're seeing more of a finished product. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Like I was almost trying to like manage Steve's own expectations that all these jobs, there's huge learning curves. Um, but he walked away really inspired and validated that he was going to go coach the Warriors in a method that was comfortable for him, like what he saw Pete Carroll do with the Seahawks. Do you still keep in contact with him now? I do. I do. And he's really a remarkable guy. Um, I'm so inspired by him, like, you know, his humility, um, you know, this is very public. So, you know, long time ago, his father was assassinated at the University of Beirut. He's been through a lot. You know, his family believes in peace in the Middle East through education. And he, he's really just a remarkable guy. I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to call him a friend. And, you know, it's funny, I'm representing him and yet like he's teaching me a lot more than I could have ever taught him. That's amazing, huh? Now you've had an interesting career here, Mike, because you've gotten to work for, the Jets and the Dolphins and go become an agent and go back to the NFL and now go into broadcasting. What do you envision your future to be like, being that you've done so many different things already? Yeah, I've been really fortunate. You know, I, I've always tried to surround myself with people that are smarter than me, that can inspire me, that could teach me a lot. And, um, you know, I'm really, you know, very, very fortunate to get this opportunity here with ESPN. And I want to be as good as possible and, and hopefully try to elevate this role and and show, you know, the value in it. You know, look, nowadays, everyone's so interested, not only, I don't know if it's because of fantasy football, but like everyone's always interested in, you know, teams moves from a salary cap standpoint or an evaluation standpoint or a team building standpoint. So I think there's a lot to talk about. And um, I'm really, you know, I'm energized by the opportunity, invigorated by it. And again, you know, kind of like what Coach Quinn would say, I want to be where my feet are and just do a great job, you know, for ESPN and, and see if, you know, we can make this role, you know, a prominent one. And before I let you go, I want you to give me in a curveball question one surprising thing 
that's going to happen in the 2019 NFL season. It could be a team emerging. It could be a player who bursts onto the scene. It could be anything that you deem to be a surprise. What is going to surprise us about the 2019 NFL season? I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to represent the AFC in the uh, Super Bowl. Why do we say that? Well, they have a Super Bowl winning quarterback. It, to me, it's it's amazing. Like Nick Foles is a really good quarterback, and but for a drop uh, this year, they may have been in two Super Bowls in the last couple of years, and he's a really good player. That I think it was a little bit of an underrated sort of move, if if it can be at that position. And then I think they got arguably maybe the best pass rusher in the draft in Josh Allen to go along with you know in in, in Gakwe. Yep. Um, Calais Campbell, Marcel Darius, they have a really good defense. And now I think, you know, with a quarterback, the other thing is like when I've worked with defensive coaches in my career, most someone like Rex Ryan, he always talked about Adam, how what keeps a defensive coach up night is when a quarterback can make plays not only with his arm, but with his feet. And Nick Foles is going to convert some third downs this year with his feet. That's just going to drive the opposing team crazy. And I don't think people realize he could have played college basketball. He's a great athlete. And let's face it, you know, Blake Bortles has been an inconsistent player. And I think Foles, I mean, you're not going to be talking about Jacksonville and that front seven. You're going to be talking about them as a, you know, whole team because that offense is going to be vastly improved. And, you know, you go back to, you know, two years ago against, you know, New England, the championship game. I think if Foles is the quarterback, he may make a play or two in the second half of that game that could put them in the uh, Super Bowl. Well, it's interesting because. Leonard Fournette has a lot to prove on the offensive side of the football. You know they want to run the football with a guy like Leonard Fournette. I'm sure the Giants fans are very happy to hear that you think Josh Allen's going to be a great player. I'm sure they won't <laughs> miss him in New York at all. And that defense was already pretty good, and they go against Juwan Taylor in the second round, who many people pegged to the Jacksonville Jaguars with the seventh overall pick, and they wound up getting him with the 35th overall selection. So it looks like Jacksonville had a great draft to go along with a already formidable roster. So that's a pretty interesting pick there, Mike, the Jacksonville Jaguars for the Super Bowl. Well, yeah, and just to touch on a couple of things you said there, Adam, you know, Doug Marone, someone I was able to work with, he has a offensive line background. He played in the league. He's coached it. And Juwan Taylor is going to be successful. Like, Doug won't let him fail, and he's driving up the road from uh, Gainesville. So I thought that was an outstanding pick. And Josh Oliver, the third-round pick, the tight end from uh, San Jose State, I think he may become, you know, a little bit of the Zach Ertz for Foles there. So I thought they had an outstanding draft. Um, it's a really talented team at all levels. And again, I think, you know, we, we keep talking about the quarterback position and how, you know, be it Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Daniel Jones, but Foles changing teams, I really think will make as much of a wave this year and be a transformative sort of acquisition for Jacksonville as any that had happened in the 2019 offseason. Mike, I've taken up way too much of your time already. I'm sure ESPN's getting anxious to get you back onto the circuit. <laughs> Thanks for the time today. Enjoy the continued adjustment to life in Bristol, Connecticut, and we appreciate you making the time today. Thanks for having me. Joining us now, a repeat guest to the program, Bengals wide receiver A.J. Green, who joins us on behalf of Shamrock Farms Rockin' Protein. And A.J., I guess I need to start out with your toe injury. Last year, you missed seven of the final eight games, including the last four. The one game you did play against Denver on December 2nd, one catch, seven yards. How much of a problem was that toe at the end of the year, and where are we in the recovery from that injury? Yeah, it was tough, man. Um, you know, I heard it, I think, like week four or something like that, um, or five or whatever it was, and, and sat out for like four weeks and, 
you know, try to let it heal. And um, it really didn't really heal, you know, that, that great. It was still hurting. Um, but I was like, I'm, I can push through that. I'll be fine. And I'll just get the surgery after the season. Um, but, you know, I couldn't really push through, man. Um, but, you know, you know, fast forward to now, you know, I feel great. I'm back running routes. So, you know, everything's back to normal. So you had surgery, though, correct? Yeah, yeah, I had surgery. Yeah, it was like a, uh, uh, you know, a small surgery. So, like, to replace the, le- the ligaments, um, one little ligament under my toe. So, um, it's good now. Like I said, man, it's, it feels, you know, it feels great. And you are expected to be ready for training camp. Is that a stretch or is that right on track? No, no, that's definitely, I, I should be clear, like, next month, um, but definitely be ready for training camp. Okay, beautiful. That's great. That's good yeah. news for the Bengals yeah. offense and good news for <laughs> Bengals fans. Uh, yeah. There's been a lot of changes. You come back to a different team. Mm-hmm. What changes have you seen in the first few months with Zach Taylor as your head coach? Uh, you know, with Zach, he just brings a different energy. You know, he's changing everything around in the building. Um, you putting logos up everywhere, um, uh, sayings up everywhere. Um, it's, it's different to have a your head coach be in the office and meeting the room, going through every play, every detail to every guy. Um, telling me why you need to run this way or, you know, what this concept is. It's just a little different, but it's fun, man. It's, it's awesome because he's so smart, so detailed. But it's got to be so different because you were so used to Marvin Lewis being there as the head coach, correct? Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, I, Coach Lewis was a great guy, man. He just he turned his franchise around um, and got us heading in the right directions. Um, like I said, Zach, you know, he's young. That's high energy guy, so it's no dub moments in the in the in the meeting rooms. He's always you always got to be on your toes with him because he's he's gonna ask you a question and you have to know the answer to it, or you're just gonna look stupid in front of the team the team room. So he's always he's always keeping everybody's on the toes. That's what we love about him. Do you find a change like this to be invigorating at this point in your career when you're 30 years old? I think so. Like I said, man, it's my this is my first you know time playing with a head coach of a, a really an offensive mind. And him having, you know, that offensive mind that, you know, came from Ram- the Rams is unbelievable. You know, my whole game, and I love to, you know, go down fields and make big chunk plays, and I think that's what he brings to the table. You mentioned that he put up logos everywhere, sayings everywhere. Is there one saying that you've seen that made an impact on you? I think the biggest thing for us, man, we have two team rules, man. I think that's, you know, be consistent and uh protect the team and I think that's the be on time and protect the team I think that's the biggest thing the two rules for us and holding everybody accountable holding everybody to a high standard and I think that's the biggest thing you know the changes um, you know from Coach Lewis is you know everybody's held accountable everybody's everybody's held to that high standard so you know what's interesting AJ we've heard a lot of conversation this offseason about the mm-hmm. Cleveland Browns the Pittsburgh Steelers the Baltimore Ravens yeah. we've heard virtually nothing about the Cincinnati Bengals why is that Hey man, we're the Bengals. I don't, I don't, Adam. I don't think they like us very much. <laughs> um, we, we don't. We don't have. We don't have Odell. We don't have Ben. We don't have Lamar. We don't have all those guys to really be in the media to talk about. So I think we just fly under the radar. That's the way we like it. How much attention have you paid to what's going on around the division with those other teams? I really don't pay attention. You know, I really don't pay attention to all that stuff um, because you know, come September, you know, everybody's playing. Um, you know, come. Late in the season, you know, everybody's going to change. Everybody's Super Bowl team's going to change once they go 0-6 or wherever they are. So everybody, you know, a Super Bowl winner right now. So, But those are some dramatic changes, right? I mean, like, 
Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the Ravens, no Joe Flacco. We got Lamar Jackson yeah. now. You look at the Browns, it's like a totally different team. The Browns have become the sexiest team in football for whatever that's worth. Yeah, and, and the Pittsburgh yeah. Steelers are very different. It's just a very different yeah. division now. It's definitely a different um, to where I came in when they had everybody, Big Ben and, you know, three Migos with um, Le'Veon and, and then Antonio. I thought I'd never see those guys leave. And, you know, having Joe leave and having Lamar come in and now Odell's in freaking Cleveland, that is just crazy. It's just all – the NFL is crazy right now. It's like NBA basketball. Oh, that's, that's a good analogy. I like that. I like that. <laughs> what is left for you in your career? Like, you're 30 years old now. You were the fourth pick in the 2011 draft. You've done this at a high level for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. How much longer can you do this, and what do you want to get done here, AJ? Uh, like, you know, my ultimate goal is to win a Super Bowl, and then after the Super Bowl is to be in the Hall of Fame. And I feel like, you know, I got six, seven more years, great years in, ahead of me, and then, and then we'll go from there. You're entering the final year of the four-year extension that you signed in 2015. You're scheduled mm-hmm. to be a free agent after the 2019 season. Right. What does your future look like to you? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. We see, um, you know, I love I love the Bengals. You know, I love to be a part of the organization for the rest of my career, but, you know, you never know. Um, you know, I just take each year at a time and, you know, go out there and, and play, get got healthy and, 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 and go from there. Could you see yourself leaving this team, this organization, at the end of this season? No, it's hard. You know, it's that's that's a place I've been here for the last well, eight years, going on nine years now. So it's it's hard for me to see myself somewhere else because I have a family and all that here. But you just never know, man. I like I said, I can't control that. Something may get done. Something may not get done. It's interesting because again, you are inextricably linked to Julio Jones. You were drafted two picks ahead of him back in that mm-hmm. 2011 draft, and. He's made a lot of noise this offseason about getting a new contract. We're going to see new contracts, I think, this offseason for receivers like Michael Thomas. And we don't hear your name. And I guess maybe that's because, again, Cincinnati, off the radar, A.J. Green, coming off surgery. And you're not talked about as one of these wide receivers getting a new deal this offseason. It's kind of odd to me. Yeah. You know, like I said, we're the Bengals. So, you 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 know how the Bengals operate. Um you know, they really don't, you know, put their business out there until the last minute when I'm about to go upstairs and sign a deal, Ashley. So, um, <laughs> like I said, like Julio and all those guys, you know, they they all up. So we see uh, what's the numbers for them and then go from there. AJ, I don't know how much attention you paid to this in the draft, but the Bengals seem to get some offensive help. Jonah Williams, the offensive tackle from Alabama in round one. Drew Sample, the tight end from Washington in round two. Ryan Finley, the quarterback from MC State. In round three, a couple of running backs, Travion Williams uh, in the sixth mm-hmm. round and Rodney Anderson in the sixth round as well. What was your assessment of what your team did and was trying to do in the draft? I, th- I think we, we did we did pretty well. Um, you know, From the offensive line standpoint, I think Jonah was one of the best rated uh, offensive line in the draft, and we got him at a number 11, and that was unbelievable because, you know, I really we needed help up front, um, so – I really think that really boost up, boost our, our offensive lineup big time. And then grabbing Drew in, in the second round, um, that guy, you know, I watched on his tape to where he can do everything, block and and go out there for passes. So I think we addressed, you know, our, our needs, and I think we capitalized on them. Have you seen any tape of Ryan Finley, the quarterback from North Carolina State, yet? I saw some, yeah, I saw some, you know, some clip on him. I think he's a great quarterback to be behind Andy right now, so. 
and any idea what to expect of him as a Bengal, Ryan uh, Finley? Uh, you know, I, I think he's going to come in and, and uh, you know, learn from one one of the best. And with Andy being a, one of the smartest guys, I, mean, I think he really can learn from him. How would you describe your relationship with Andy Dalton, AJ? Uh, it's unbelievable. Um, like I said, it's just not football. Like I said, our, um, our wives work out together. Our kids are in the same class. So it's far more than um, football with um, Andy and I. And um, I think that's what makes us so great on the field. So, Oh, I didn't realize you guys were that close personally as well. Professionally, what is your assessment of Andy? Right, Andy's a great quarterback. Um, you know, he, he gets a lot of flack. I, mean, I think just, just the position in general. Um, but he's a he's a great quarterback, man. I just I think that he we put the pieces around him, and everybody does his job. I think we can go very far. AJ, you talk about a great quarterback. Give me a great cornerback that you go against, a guy that keeps you up at night when you're getting ready to face him. Uh, I think the biggest one is Patrick Peterson um, because I feel like he's uh, the best corner of me. To me personally, I think he's the best corner. What makes him the best? Because I think he's big, he's fast, he has great ball skills. And uh, when you have a corner who's have all those three, man, it's hard to beat them. And AJ, before we let you go, what makes Shamrock Farms Rock and Protein a good shake? You know, Rock and Protein is you know my go-to protein shake. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me is the taste. You don't get that chalky taste in your mouth after you drink it, and they don't fool you up to where you can't eat a meal um, right after it. So I think the biggest thing for me is the taste, and you can drink it while you're eating a meal. So when you're coming back from the toe surgery this year, we're going we're gonna to accredit it to the Shamrock Farms yeah. Rock and Protein, correct? Yeah, of course. Of uh, that's, course. What I, that's exactly what I thought. AJ, thank you very much for the time today. As always, you are welcome back on the podcast anytime. Love having you. Good luck this season and continued success. All right, thank you, Adam. Special thanks to the Bengals Pro Bowl wide receiver, A.J. Green, for taking some time to join us this week. And special thanks to ESPN colleague Mike Tannenbaum, the former general manager of the Miami Dolphins and New York Jets, as he transitions over to his new role in the media. And thank you for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week for another edition of the Adam Schefter podcast. Until then, have a great week, everybody.